all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Uh, hello and welcome to Cars and Comrades, the show that you listen to because you're a, a lefty and, and you like cars. And we're here to enable those impulses. Uh, I'm I'm Brandon, making an incredibly awkward introduction because I don't normally do it, but I'm stepping up today. Uh, I'm here with Bryant, Connor, and Zach. How's everybody doing? Doing well. Pretty good. Yeah, doing good. Cool. I, I am also doing well. So... Yeah. Hello, fellow humans. <laughs> uh, so this week we're going to continue in our series on, you know, sort of advice on working on your own car. And um, we're also going to talk a little bit on, you know, when it's worth just taking it to a professional and let, letting them do it and, you know, what kind of stuff you can do yourself. And uh, if we have time, we might do like a little advice or buyer's guide on you know how to buy a used car uh what to look for what to be wary of um but uh however yeah, we, we do don't... like to we do like to talk too much so yeah we probably won't get there we'll see yeah so yeah whoever's editing this uh cut that part out if we don't get to it in the end um <laughs> but um and and we had a uh a mechanic friend that was going to help us out with some professional advice but uh, they couldn't make it, so we're just going to do our own amateur advice this time. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Amateur <laughs> advice about how to get a professional. Yeah. Yeah, it, it'll all make sense, uh, I, I assure you. Um, but before that, uh, we're going to do some car updates on just our various projects and daily drivers, what we've been doing with those. And um, I believe it is Brandon's turn. I can do Unless that. Unless someone else wants to go first. Uh, no, I'm good to go. Um, All right. I haven't done too much because, uh, as I will probably never stop uh, bragging about from here on out, I got a new job and I don't have to drive anymore. I, I can walk or bicycle to work. So uh, I'm currently on, on a trend of, of driving to work about once a week when it rains. Um, it also affords me the option of being able to work on my projects without having to have them ready to run and drive to work in the morning. Um, so yeah, while it's I, the dream. Dude, I, I love it, man. I'm so fucking pumped. Loving cars and not needing them is like the best combination. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Um, so my Ford's not been giving me any problems on account of the three times a week that I drive it. Uh, it just seems to real it. It's like a healthy relationship, you know. It enjoys its time apart. <laughs> <laughs> my my Chevy, I haven't messed with, but I I actually did try and go in the bat. I had left the battery on, and there's like enough of a drain that you know, in the six weeks since the last time I tried to drive it, it uh, the battery had drained down enough to not start. So 
I've got to go get that that sorted out because I think I'm going to like try and put that back on the road soon because I might be doing a longer trip with it in the near future. Um, I, th- I think the appropriate way to, you know, get a car back on the road that hasn't been on the road in five or six months is to drive it 800 miles. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, agreed. Well, I'm certainly not fucking doing it with my Ford again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the trip where I had to weld it back together numerous times and fix the carburetor on the side of the road and in parking lots. And it was just, it's just, it was a whole, it was a whole thing. Um, but the real meat and potatoes is I started working on the cutlass again. Um, nice. I, it was running, but just really badly. And it had an Edelbrock carburetor on it. I, I don't, I don't have a, a, like a, a brand allegiance, but they're a different style of carburetor than what I'm used to. So I don't, I didn't know like the quick and dirty tips to sort it out. And so I just pulled it off and put a Holly on it. Um, the Holly that I put on it fired up almost immediately and just idled so much better. Um, up until it started pouring gas everywhere. Um, which, and actually because of the way those work, um, I had a good seal, like a good gasket seal on the primary, side so it was idling fine but then the the secondary uh bowl was just pouring gas all over the intake and i'm like oh well it's running good i've i've proof of concept i should probably stop pouring gas everywhere and uh effectively it has reusable gaskets on some of the the surfaces but i think those are meant to be reused like four or five times not like dozens of times over the course of years um so I got to order like a rebuild kit and go through that, sort it out properly. But yeah, I think I think probably in the next few days or week, the Cutlass will be running and driving good, which uh, will be great because I think I'm uh, now that I'm like back at work and making decent money. I, I think uh, the big block swap is probably coming up sooner than nice. later. Very cool. Well, I've got everything I need for it now. I've got, you know, carb to pan like the the engine's ready to go i just need to bolt the intake up and uh i want to put a shift kit in the transmission before i put it in the car and i have to have my drive shaft shortened and i believe shy i gotta buy one more engine mount and any predictable problems are uh covered once that that is done so hell yeah i think i think i'm gonna start saying instead of uh soup to nuts carb to pan it's a better saying I think they both work, but yeah, I just, uh, yeah. that was, that was off the top of my head. So, um, I mean, how often do you eat like multi-course meals with soup and nuts as courses, but I don't believe I've ever heard the phrase soup to nuts before. Oh, I've heard that before, although I'm an old man. So maybe that's I have not. Yeah. I, I was trying to figure out what part of the body the soup was because <laughs> I was thinking nuts as in <laughs> testicles. <laughs> Oh, I love that interpretation. <laughs> I was like, is the soup the brain? Is that what the soup is? My brain is like a soup sometimes, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I was, I was really happy that the... Uh, I, was, I was nervous for the reasonable uh, reasons that I just... I've had really bad... Like, dude, literally the first time that it didn't... It started pouring gas. It was because I forgot to put one of the gaskets on. <laughs> Uh, and I have forgotten to put that gasket on that style of carburetor like twice before. This is a thing I should know 
I do and watch out for. But even once I got it on, it, it still wanted to leak. There's, I, I think that one of the seals are, are torn, maybe, and not making a good seal. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping to be able to start driving that more regularly. Like, um, I'm hoping to start doing some suspension work on it so that I can, you know, modernize the suspension. I want to I convert it to coilovers all the way around and do some of the associated, you know, improvements, maybe new uh, front suspension altogether. There's all sorts of kits for these cars. So nice. it's just a matter of what I end up deciding to do here and there. So is that, if you, the, the big block, is that basically what the 442 was? Um, the 442, like, I, uh, it did mean different things over the years. But in the era of, like, my Cutlass, the 442 package was four-barrel carburetor, four-speed uh, transmission, and uh, posi rear end, or whatever the Oldsmobile equivalent of posi traction was. Uh, okay. So, you know, two, two wheels spinning. Um, uh. our, um, I've also heard, well, actually in some, in some years, no, I take that back. Some years it was four barrel carb, four speed transmission, uh, dual exhaust. Huh. It, it meant a lot of things over the years, but, um, I, don't I always heard that, that last one's, a, that one, last one's horse shit. A dual exhaust. <laughs> I'm like, no, that don't count. That's not at the same level as number of carbs speeds in the transmission. Oh, and there's two fucking seats or there's two cup holders. Like the Dude, fuck you mean? Come on. I always heard the two is two doors. Cutlass Supreme became such a fucking like old man car by the end of its life. A four four two probably was like four door, like four <laughs> feet of leg room. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, just, but yeah, like, but I, I do know that that like it changed a bunch over the years. But I, I think all of the early four four twos were big block cars, like four hundred, four twenty five, or four fifty five. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, the the one the big block I've got to put in it's a four fifty five. Uh, nice. I do want to do a four speed, but there's like engine modification. Like, you can't just bolt it up. Uh, um, really? Yeah, there's like a keyway in the the shaft and the crankshaft that you have to do uh, or something, and like you have to like drill and tap some parts of the block to be able to run the Z bar for the clutch. Like, hmm. it's. I looked into it, and it's not something I would be wholly opposed to doing. It's something that I feel like I haven't done enough research to want to commit to doing it. So what transmission options would you have for the 455 without doing all that extra shit? Automatics. Mm, it's not the worst thing. No, I, I appreciate automatics. I it's, just... it's it's If you get a good one, it's probably faster than the uh, manual anyway. Um... I have a 400, which they're not the fastest in the sense that like like they, they're not they're not the most efficient. You have more parasitic drain through a 400 than through the smaller ones, but they're goddamn impossible to kill. Like, um, I've been told that a stock case for a 400 can easily handle 800 to 1200 horsepower. Wow, not without modifying the internals, but like the case itself can handle an, an outstanding amount of power. I am not putting anything remotely through that. Uh, with the setup that I've got on the 455, I, I would not. I would be surprised if I was making much over 300 to 350 horsepower. But I'll also be making probably closer to like 500 pound feet of torque. Cool. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of where you can break parts, is with that kind of torque. Yeah. I mean, big horsepower breaks parts too, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. 
Um, so yeah, I picked the the 400 transmission just because. Well, one, I I had a BOP 400 sitting around my shop, so why not? And uh, two, it's it's stout enough to be able to handle what I'm doing to it. Nice. It's it's a, it's a cool position when you're. You get to choose like something like a transmission based off of all of the different ones sitting on your shelf. Which one's the best fit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't had that uh, luxury. I really wanted to put my two hundred in it, but like I just I, I took it apart and realized that it's rebuilding my transmission is something I can do, but it was not as straightforward as I was really hoping it was. And the biggest problem is that there is one specific tool that I can't figure out what it's called and I can't find it anywhere. Mm. And it can't be mm. that rare because it was, I think it's used in all of the GM uh, overdrive transmissions. I just can't find one. So maybe when I find that tool, I'll be more inclined to try and rebuild my 200. Yeah. Cause oh, man, I would, I would love it if I had an overdrive transmission that could also handle all of the torque of that motor. Right. No such luck. But yeah, that's that, that's me. I like have been very busy. So the fact that I was even able to squeeze in a little bit of automotive stuff was pretty nice. Cool. Nice. Um, I guess Bryant, that uh, puts you next. Yeah. Um, so I've been busy with a few things, uh, which is why maybe the episodes haven't been coming out on time. Is I've been working on my car rather than editing. But I on my Sabre, I forget where I left it off last time, but I finished doing the intake manifold uh, gasket. And so that's all put to, back together on that side of the engine. I still need to reroute the lines for the catch cans that I'm going to do. But now I'm tackling the, the timing belt. So that is a bit of a chore. And I found it one of the, you know, kind of, like what you're talking about, Brandon, um, the manual transmission models have guides that go along the outside of the belt, which I'm not really sure why, what those are for or why they wouldn't have them on an automatic, but yeah. So I need to, one of these days I need to find some one millimeter shim stock to, uh, get those aligned properly. But, um, Oh, I have a, um, set for doing timing belts. Oh, okay. So I, ha- I have those shims. Yeah, you can more than welcome to borrow those. Okay. Well, yeah, if I can uh, find a time to go over to your place or whatever. Um, yeah. But I think I might also be able to find one mil shim stock just in the machine shop where I work. There you go. If uh, if I can, you know, borrow some of that for a little bit. So, yeah, I've been, just been working on that. I, uh, it, you know, one of the, the, one of the videos I watched, it's like I, I'm replacing all the... Um, the oil seals in the front of the engine too, while I'm in there. And one of the videos I saw was like, yeah, you can just pull the, the main sprocket off the crankshaft. It's not like, you know, press fit or anything on there. Well, I guess mine is like rust was rusted on there or something. It took mm-hmm. quite a bit of force to get it off. I'd like heat it up and put penetrating oil and put a crowbar behind it and stuff. But I got that done last night and the water pump and, so I'm I'm chipping away at it, and hopefully I'll have it done in the next uh, week or so, and then I can you know get take it to a place to get the AC fixed and the alignment uh, fixed and all that. But I've been driving my MR2, and uh, on Friday night I was coming home, 
and the check engine light lit up for like five seconds and then turned off. I'm like, uh, what the hell? Sounds and, like a fluke to me. Leave it alone. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> five seconds uh, will done count. but it was like when i was going over a bump so maybe it just jostled something loose for a second i don't yeah don't worry about that that's nothing (laughs) but i do want to uh this has like obd negative two or something it's like you know (laughs) the the system like 10 years before they had obd two so this is like you you plug an led into this little socket and it blinks like five times, and that tells you that it's the O2 sensor or whatever. Yep, yep. <laughs> so Sick. I need to find an LED somewhere and do that. But uh, I, thought, I thought it was still the light on the dash, and you would just like whatever you would do whatever procedure, and then it would flash however many times to tell you what it was. No, unfortunately, it's there's a little diagnostic port in the engine bay. Gotcha. And I need to, uh, yeah, plug some wires into that. The other thing I've got going on with that car is the crack that started on the passenger side of the windshield has gone clear across now to the driver's side. So, so finish its journey. Very nice. Yeah. So now I need to actually get that replaced. Um, so hopefully someone can, some glass shop can find a windshield for an MR2 and they're not like discontinued or anything. I don't think, I think they're the same windshield as like on the same year Corolla or whatever. So I, hopefully it shouldn't be hard, that hard to find. Oh, and uh, yesterday I went with uh, a couple friends to the, the Forney Museum in Denver. So this is a car, or it's the Museum of Transportation. So they have uh, cars, motorcycles, uh, a couple like light aircraft, and then a couple trains and locomotives. Cool. So that was pretty cool. They, their main exhibit was uh, cars of the disco era. So like big land barges from the seventies. Yeah, let's say so nice. all bad ones. Like yeah. <laughs> all bad. Oh my god, no, dude, that's the starting point for a donk. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of like you know twenty foot long sedans with like four hundred cubic inch motors that make two hundred horsepower. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> honestly, not... a four hundred cubic inch motor in the seventies, it would be generous to assume it was right. two hundred horsepower. <laughs> Yeah, the, the four the four hundred three in my olds is from the seventies, and it makes sub two hundred. <laughs> wow, yeah. So lots of cars that I'm like, well, that looks cool, but I would never want to drive it. They also had like a few, like maybe a dozen, uh, like cars from like the teens and twenties. That it's like, you know, the the horn that goes a wooga and like <laughs> a brass radiator and the little skinny bicycle tires on wooden wheels, and it's like, yeah, that's cool i guess i don't have any context for appreciating these cars but oh and they had amelia Earhart's actual car there oh that's um, cool yeah that actually and, cool. What, what, what kind of car was it i'm if you know uh it was like a kissel runabout or something like that something yeah, i've never heard of yeah some some random shit back that we've never heard of <laughs> yeah they also had um one of the cars that was sold in the sears catalog oh uh, hell yeah 1907 or whatever nice Very cool. and a couple of the motorcycles that were sold in the sears catalog also so well, um now, now i'm glad we uh we did that sears episode to, yeah to call back to because like that that was very actually really informative so um, yeah that was that was a pretty really fun cool. one I, I loved that episode because it just 
owned libertarians so <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so hard. But yeah, if you if you got you know a couple hours to kill in Denver and fifteen dollars, uh, it's worth a visit, I'd say. Oh, and they also have uh, one of the big boy locomotives that that's like what they were called. I forget uh, who manufactured them or what railroad it was like Union Pacific, I want to say. Um, there's a few out there that run still that Union Pacific has, but uh, this one's, you know, you can kind of look inside it and climb in the cab and look in the uh, firebox and whatnot. So it's kind of cool. Uh, one oh, of the yeah. largest and most powerful locomotives ever built or steam locomotives, that is. Nice. But yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, Connor, what have you been up to? Um, I have not been up to too much uh, in terms of working on the car. I have been up to a bit in terms of driving the car at the track a little bit, Um, which isn't exactly news. Um, Just since the last time we've recorded, I've either done one or two drift events. Um, I don't remember when... Where, where I was at last time we recorded. But uh, point being, uh, I've been drifting a little bit. It's been... Um, I've been still having some overheating issues um, a little bit. Um, and I think next step, um, whenever I get time, which I don't have much of these days, got a busy kind of end of summer here. So I have not had a ton of time to work on the car. But uh, one of the next things I'm going to be doing is I've got to drain and refill the clutch fluid um i'm gonna hope that because like when i start to get really really hot under the hood it seems like it's cooking the uh the clutch fluid a bit and uh then the clutch doesn't want to return so i'll have to like let it cool down for like 30 to 45 minutes depending on how bad it is which is not exactly ideal um which also weirdly enough it seems like it only has a problem if I shut the car off. So like if I go to like go to the pits and cool down and like shut the car off, then when I start the car again, then it seems like the clutch has a problem getting pressure back. Hmm. So I don't know if it's necessarily because of the temperature or if it's something else, because that's kind of a really highly specific set of circumstances. Um, but I don't think the heat is helping. So I think I'm going to try and, uh, change that out with dot 5.1 fluid um which should be able to handle higher temperatures than whatever's in there which is either which is probably dot three but might be dot four um but 5.1 is you know the best so so i'm gonna try and change that hopefully that'll solve that issue um i think long term i'm going to have to get a vented hood to, to drift with uh, but I think I'm going to hold out on that and save my money for a while because, I mean, it's we're recording now. Who knows? This this episode might come out in October for all I know. But, um, you know, it, it's right now it's mid-August. I really only have, what, through half of September. So I've got like maybe a month that this is even going to be a problem. And then it should be cool enough that I don't have to worry anymore. So I, I think I'm going to just kind of wait until like the winter or spring uh, before getting um, a vented hood uh, just because they're fucking expensive. They're really fucking expensive. It's uh, look, I, I've already looked. It's going to cost me over a thousand dollars to get a carbon fiber hood. And that doesn't include the hood pins and all that stuff. So 
uh, definitely not eager to spend a grand on something I don't like need right this moment. Um, so yeah, just dealing with heat is my biggest issue right now. But, um, aside from that driving wise, I have been having a lot of fun. Um, I'm kind of starting to get those skills back. It's weird how everything comes back in like different times. Um, cause like there's certain like advanced techniques that I can do. And then there's certain like basic things that I'm still just not super confident about, which is just kind of funny. And I still drifting, like I'm still having trouble with some easy stuff. Like this last event I went to, I, f- I was sucking for most of the event cause it took me forever to figure out that like I had to let off the gas a little bit more. Cause like I was just going into the first turn and just gassing the absolute shit out of it and i was understeering like really really bad so like those front tires were just like not gripping at all and i was like i tried like lowering those down so i brought those down to like 22 psi in the front and then i checked the rears and those are like 40 once i start drifting because like it heats up the air in the tire and they get real hard so i was like okay so i shouldn't have like too much grip in the rear i should have really good grip up front and i was still understeering and then it took me a while to just, like, realize, like, that's because I was going into the turn and just, like, flooring it. I was still feathering the gas, but, like, with the kind of torque I have now, and even before I did the engine build, like, the the 350Z has more than enough horsepower and torque to get sideways. Like, that's not, that is not a thing that the 350Z struggles with. Um, like, 240s, Miatas, those are a lot harder to get sideways, like, in terms of power. The Z is you can pretty much tap the gas, um, even though they're not like they're not the most powerful cars out there by any means. But a little tap on the gas is it's enough sometimes to get you sideways. So this is a bit of a slicker track. Um, it doesn't eat through your tires very much. And I was driving it like because the weekend before I was at uh, a track that like has a much more coarse pavement. So like you have to like you have to actually give it some gas here you know, you kind of go out and I I realize later it's like, I do my clutch kick, but then I have to like put the clutch back in and just like wait for the car to get through the corner almost. So like I go, you know, 50% of the corner, I'm not even, I've got the clutch in, I'm not even giving it anything. So once I started doing that, then I was able to actually like link the course properly. Um, and I was able to like, actually took a while to adjust my line to get the right line to link it. But anyway, point being, that was like a really simple thing that I was struggling with. So like just, I was going out there and I was just like giving it way too much fucking gas. And so I, I had to just remind myself to slow down uh, and then it was fine. Um, so it's, it's kind of funny how like some stuff takes me a while to get. Cause it's just like, I used to have a lot of these skills that I've just like forgotten. Like I know how to do stuff. It's just like applying it at the right time is still, um, uh, I, I just don't have a feel for it as much as I used to. So, uh, but it is very good to be getting seat time um, and getting back out there. And you know, I'm starting to get better. It's it's going well. So I'm pretty happy with that. And it's also really helpful that I've been on the same tires for two and a half events now, and they look they've got like I would say another two and a half events left at least. So um, optimistically, but. Uh, the, t- the tires I'm running right now, I have Kendas, uh, the whatever, Chrysler KR20As uh, in the rear, and they're holding up really, really well through several events. So um, it is kind of nice to drift on new tires, and 
you know, get relatively consistent grip levels and uh, they are lasting a long time, which is pretty cool. So I can just throw them on the car and drive to the track and I don't really have to worry about like changing shit at the track as much as I used to. So um, anyway, so that's mostly what I've been working on. I've got a few things coming up. I've got to, I think I'm going to change my, um, like I said, my clutch fluid. And at the same time, I'm going to change my trans fluid as well. And my diff fluid, because the diff is making more noise than I'd like it to. It's locking up real nice, but it's almost locking up too much, it feels like. So I don't know. I'm just going to change the fluid to be safe, make sure there's enough in there. And I'm going to do the same with the trans, because um, I haven't done the trans fluid since it's been rebuilt, which is only about 20,000 miles ago. Um, so it shouldn't need to be changed, but when you're beating on it um, and it's getting really hot, like I can feel, I can feel the heat inside the cab like i can touch my center console and it's fucking it hurts so um it is that transmission is getting fucking crazy hot so i think i'm going to change that fluid too just to make sure there's enough and make sure it's all good and not breaking down um so a couple little maintenance things to do um but anyway um aside from that i've been driving the car a lot been getting to the track which has been really fun and uh yeah so that's kind of where i've been Zach, uh, how about uh, how about yourself? Oh boy, I've been having a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I um, I don't know if I updated y'all, but I have completed my Audi project. Nice. Oh, like, no, you oh, nice. Tell us that. Fully, fully completed. It's ready to go. So, yeah, uh, if you're in the Denver area and you're interested in an Audi S4, hit me up. Uh, don't listen to any of my updates <laughs> about how terrible it is. Yeah, new listeners I, only. <laughs> new listeners only. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it, it was a journey, but uh, got it all fixed. Uh, I had a hell of a time with the fucking windshield wipers of all things. The arms didn't seem to have the appropriate connectors attached to them to mm. handle windshield wipers it oh, was like that was a, there was like a piece missing yeah it was ridiculous so i i bought some new arms and just stole the uh connectors off of them got some windshield wipers on it it was uh leaking uh freon out of the ac system so i replaced a couple o-rings and it's got ac now I think I updated y'all about the mechanical cam adjuster. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that one was a a huge pain in the ass, but that is all taken care of. It's running right. It's got AC. It's got windshield wipers. It's all ready to go. I just have to find the title now, which is Uh somewhere, (laughs) but uh, not really sure where. yeah, hoping I don't have to like go apply for a new title for it because that'll be a pain in the ass. But oh, and you um, know, if you do that, you will a new problem will arise in the time it takes to get that title. Oh yeah, it's hundred yeah, percent. It's gonna happen for sure if uh, if I have to do that. So I'm really hoping I I find the title quickly and unless just unless someone sold. listening is interested in buying it, in which case I'm sure that won't happen. It probably won't have any more problems. No, uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. No, it'll be perfect forever. <laughs> Yeah, since when do Audis have problems? He's fixed oh. everything on it. What could go yeah. wrong? <laughs> I fixed literally everything. Yeah, it's I've gone through that whole car at this point. But no, yeah, that that's ready to go. So hopefully I can get that sold here shortly. 
and have a little extra money probably to buy a truck because I, I just need a, a truck for work and life, honestly, at this point. Uh, hopefully I can get a decent one. The Ranger is still down, needs a transmission. So whenever I get that fixed, I'll, I'll sell that. But that has been well on the back burner. So yeah, just getting another truck seems like the move then. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sick of that thing. It needs to go. It's not a bad truck, really, at the end of the day. It's just uh, not the truck for me. It's, it's not what I need. It seems uh, objectively like it's a bad truck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make a sale here, Connor. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to the show, feel free to uh, send an email to carsandcomrades at gmail.com for any of our cars that you might be interested in buying. Um, if you've listened to the show, I'd be a little surprised, but you know, hey, <laughs> whatever. Hey, we make bad car purchases. It's only fair that our listeners do the same. <laughs> And we can help facilitate that. Yeah. And then my daily driver has been having issues too, because they all have to have problems, right? Yeah. It's it's all or nothing. You you never have problems with like, in my experience, like if you have a problem with one car, then clench up because just you're getting ready for something (laughs) bad. Yeah, pretty much. No. So my, uh, my daily driver started, my, my 2011 WRX started running really, really poorly. Um, and I was getting a check engine light for an O2 sensor. But I, uh, like I mentioned on the show previously, I ran it through some water and it uh, wasn't super happy about that for a little while. But it, it seemed to do okay afterwards. Uh, it blew some white smoke out the exhaust. Uh, and then just kind of took care of itself. It was running okay for a little while and then it started, started running like shit. So I thought that I had, uh, blown the rings on the motor. Luckily I unplugged the O2 sensor and it started running fine. So it was just a bad O2 sensor. Um, you know, out of curiosity, Zach, what, um, what led you to pulling, like pulling the plug on the O2 sensor? Like why was that your troubleshooting step there? Um, this is a good episode for this. That's why I'm uh, asking. Actually, I was like, oh, well, since we're on the beginner stuff, why did you do that? <laughs> I So it got a check engine light. I checked the code, and the code was for an O2 sensor. So I thought, okay, you know, if the O2 sensor is bad, maybe just unplugging it will change something. And so that's what I did. I, I just unplugged the O2 sensor to see if it would behave any differently at all. And it did. It ended up running just fine with the O2 center, sensor unplugged. Obviously, it was throwing a code because it doesn't have an O2 sensor, but it was running better. So that's a good place to start. If you have, you know, a check engine light for a specific sensor, just unplugging that sensor sometimes can lead you to, you know, determining whether that's a bad sensor or if there's something causing that code that's not the sensor specifically. Yeah. I mean, it sounds really similar to like, how you can check for misfires in a car with coil packs, right? Where the ignition coil is on each plug, you can find whichever one's misfiring if it's random or whatever by unplugging the connectors on those until you unplug one and nothing happens. (laughs) And then you know, oh, that one's not firing then. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Same same concept. Same concept, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
So I, uh, I purchased a used O2 sensor off of someone off uh, Facebook and uh, went to replace my old one. And after 180,000 miles, it did not want to come out. So I ended up having to replace that section of exhaust manifold because it was just oh. fused to it. I, I did everything. I completely rounded it off. Uh, I smashed the sensor to bits with uh, vice grips, trying to get it <laughs> off with vice grips. It just wasn't going to budge. So luckily it was on a pretty small section of uh, exhaust manifold. It was, uh, so is this a, on, on manifold or is this on like your, this is like in the catalytic converter or something? No, this is the upstream. So it's, it's oh, okay. in the exhaust manifold, in the header, like right before the up pipe. Um, so did you have to like, remove the exhaust manifold like off the engine block or no just just the one section so it's luckily it's a multi-piece manifold that's really strange that's cool yeah yeah so it yeah it worked out really well um very lucky yeah that's lucky because like for me that would be a really i'm like that i would be fucked because doing headers on my car is real tough yeah yeah luckily on a subaru it's all right on the bottom of the engine so i just got up underneath there and oh that's true and pulled it all apart and uh yeah i i again luckily had a uh a spare exhaust manifold laying around from my parts car that i have uh yeah that's right <laughs> helps to hoard things sometimes uh it's so yeah it's I, I got hoarding if it's not thematically consistent exactly exactly I'm not a hoarder. I'm a collector of exactly. piece of shit cars. <laughs> I had to learn the difference because of how many times people were calling me a hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was all very lucky, very lucky situation to be in. Um, but I got it all put back together, got the new used O2 sensor in there, and it's now throwing a code for the O2 sensor again. Um, a different code this time, but it's still throwing a code. So I went ahead and ordered a new O2 sensor off of the internet. Uh, another good tip for DIY stuff. Uh, Denso is the OEM manufacturer for Subaru O2 sensors. And an O2 sensor directly from Subaru was about $300. And a Denso one, which is exactly the same. It, Denso makes the O2 sensors for Subaru was $130. So if you know who produces the part that you're looking for, definitely look up, you know, directly from the manufacturer and you can save a good chunk of change. Um, the, the most extreme example that I've heard of that was, um, I think it was like a fuel pump or a fuel filter for... Uh, hey, Brian, uh, you're breaking up for me. I don't know if you're breaking up for anyone else. Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I couldn't hear that at all. Oh my, that is a loud noise. Hey, uh, sorry, we had a little technical snafu, and uh, I hope the last 38 minutes or so that we recorded still worked. I uh, hope so. But uh, anyway, I think we were talking about... Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, I O2 sensors, I think? Yeah. I was going to say, Zach, I've got just about every sensor uh, that that I replaced on my car. Um so if you need a slightly used 
sensor, let me know. I, I don't know if they'd be compatible between the different years, but if this brand new one that I just got doesn't work, I might do that. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't remember where I was. Oh, but... I remember. So we, we were talking about how like there's, um, if you go to the dealer, it's going to be, you know, like $400, but then you can go yes. online and find the same exact part. And the example I heard of that is, um, someone was replacing, I think it was the fuel filter or fuel pump for uh, an Aston Martin. And, um, they looked up the part number and it was, um, the same part that's used on like a Ford F two fifty or something. Yeah. So it costs like, oh, yeah. you know, 10 times less or something. I think there's examples of like Lamborghini doing that too. Yeah. It's like oh, the, yeah. Turn, the turn signal indicator that they sell for like $500 is a Ford focus one. And then <laughs> right, yeah. I forgot what the, what the other thing they did was, but like, again, just absurd stuff where they use like cheap car parts, but then they charge, you know, uh, we'll say a premium for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's putting it lightly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely look into that. If you're looking for parts and they're ridiculously expensive, try to find the, uh, the manufacturer and, and go directly through them because it can be way cheaper. I'm hoping this new one solves my problem. I got to do that job whenever I get off of this podcast. Yeah, I think that's it for me. I don't recall anything else that I've done recently. Yeah. The <laughs> uh, there's a couple of things I forgot to mention. One, when I was at the, the Forney Museum, uh, they had a uh, Ford Maverick, but not the pickup. Oh, yeah. Um, that was kind of cool. The one car that I saw there that I really liked and I was like, man, I could I could drive one of those was a um, Studebaker Lark, like a 63 or something. What about it made you think that like you could realistically drive that just like out of curiosity as opposed to like any other 60s car you know mostly i just like the color and the styling uh okay. and it had a v8 and a four speed so good combo it looked cool yeah, yeah. and the, there was also a custom van there uh that you might might like brandon and it had a uh like a supercharger with the um like the three uh throttle body scoop thing on it okay uh, but oh, yeah. because, you know, on the van, the engine is sit, sits way far back, the carb and the scoop were, like, cut through the hood, like, in a hole in the hood. And then it had this, like, L-shaped uh, aluminum box to go back to the intake manifold and the supercharger. So it was, like, you know, we want to put the carburetor here just because it looks cool, but, like, we have <laughs> to make this convoluted thing to make it work. <laughs> but it you, did look you, cool you're gonna send me pictures of that because i've, I've seen some very peculiar setups uh yeah. to, to make different weird van stuff work but like every one of them is is, is a sort of a snowflake yeah <laughs> you know what i'd like to see in that case like if you could just like do custom random shit i i would like to see where they bring the the intake back in and just like put it through the roof of the car at that point, <laughs> like just a big old scoop on the roof <laughs> and it like comes next to the driver. Like it would just, just a big I tower mean, right next to the driver's seat just to get air into it. Like it's fun when your build requires you to make like massive sacrifices. Right? <laughs> <laughs> 
like like a hood exit exhaust, which is pretty common. But everyone who's ever had one's like, yeah, it really sucks. They have a hood exit exhaust. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have to cool. remember your coffee can to put on top of it when it rains. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention is I think I decided what wheels I want to put on my MR2, and it's the 16 inch alloys that were on the 03 to 05 Saturn Ion. Um, okay. And so I went to a junkyard last week and got one. Uh, there was only one left on the car, um, but it was like 45 or 50 bucks. So I need to go find another Ion at a junkyard and hopefully pick those up. And uh, I, I haven't decided if I want to get the the like X-shaped Saturn um, center caps or like find a Toyota center cap that fits on those but i think they look cool and um hopefully by the time this episode comes out i will have gotten four of them but uh or possibly i have you know um decided on a different totally different wheel um also but either (laughs) either way if you are listening to this and you have some uh three three uh saturn wheels for sale in the denver area or if you want to buy a single Saturn wheel in the Denver area, <laughs> hit me up. Because those are both possibilities at this point. So. Actually, I actually had one more thing that I forgot to mention. Um, I have a fun little getting pulled over story that I was going to share. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so I was over in, a, in another part of town uh, over the weekend, late at night, and I was, uh, I was going to meet a friend. And I, uh, I'm going up the road and I, I'm going pretty quick, you know, and I, I see a cop. So I, I slow down and, uh, they pull out behind me and I'm like, oh shit, I'm getting pulled over. I, I make a turn and then, you know, I, I go to make another turn and it's the wrong one. So I like stopped in the middle of the street and they're behind me this entire time. Go up to the next turn, which was my actual turn and I make the turn real, real slow. And that's when they hit me with the lights, you know? So I'm like, all right, yeah, that's, that's understandable. I I can definitely see why they're pulling me over right now. And, uh, the guy comes up to the window and he's like, Hey, so I I pulled you over because your registration is expired. Like, Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I I know. And then I lied and said, yeah, I I don't drive this car very often. So I I just let it lapse. (laughs) I forgot. It's my daily driver, by the way. It's the car I drive every single day. But I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I I just don't drive it very often. He's like, okay, well, actually, the real reason I pulled you over is someone in a very similar car has committed some criminal mischief. They had had a bat in their car and they were busting out windows. I was like, okay. And he's like, I can, I know the description of the guy who did it and it's not you, but I was wondering if you could help me out. And I was (laughs) thinking to myself, no, I'm not going to fucking help you out. (laughs) And I was like, sure. What what do you need? That is such a lie. There is (laughs) no one committing criminal (laughs) mischief in a car. Like it's all bullshit. Everything's bullshit. Fuck him. Yeah. He's like, do you belong to any Subaru groups? And I was like, uh, I mean, yeah. He's like, could you send me 
some of these groups so that I can look into them. <laughs> Could you be a snitch randomly, sir? Like, no. Yeah. So I was like, uh, no, honestly, uh, none of the people that are, I'm in the groups with would do something like that. I, I know these people They're They're not going to do something like that. And he's like, okay, well, here's my card. If you want to help out, (laughs) you can give me a call. And I was like, yeah, sure, buddy. Uh, And then he didn't end up giving me a ticket. So I was like, all right, cool. See ya. Uh, Yeah, that was my my run-in with the police. I mean, it's entirely possible that someone with a Subaru had a bat with smashing windows. Not randomly, like he made it sound, but probably of someone that pissed him off. Yeah. Like, so it's like, I I could see that being like a thing. Maybe you should ask, like, what did you do to people that they wanted to smash windows? Like, right. Just because that might tell you who's smashing the windows. That doesn't seem like a random criminal mischief kind of thing. Yeah. No one's going around and randomly doing it. He also asked me, he goes, uh, so this car you have, is it, is it pretty common? I was like, (laughs) It's a Subaru in Colorado. They're very common, yes. He's like, oh, really? Even with the gold wheels? I was like, yeah, dude, everybody puts gold wheels on Subarus. What kind of questions are these? These This sounds like cop questions. Just like fourth grader level intellect. Just, uh. It's like, sir, don't you literally drive around all day looking at other people's cars? Like, that's like your whole job is like writing parking tickets for cars. Or writing tickets for people in cars that are being driven. That's it. What else do you do? Yeah, exactly. I, like, how like do you not know this? I'd like to infiltrate the underground Subaru groups. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that could either mean go to the gay bar or <laughs> these groups. Like, I don't, what, what do you want here? <laughs> Yeah, this guy thinks he's like a sneaky detective, like <laughs> infiltrating the Black Panthers or something. Yeah. yeah, like I oh, I pulled over a Subaru. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna see if I can get in, and it's like, dude, no. What? Yeah, I don't know this random other person with a Subaru. If that's what you're asking, yeah, yeah he's, right. He's get, gonna get to the bottom of the uh, the vape trafficking business. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, you said a guy driving a Subaru with a bat? Oh, that must be Jeffrey. <laughs> that really narrows it down in the state of Colorado. There are only so many of us. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a lovely interaction that I had with this police officer. He was a real bright guy, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, should, we, uh, should we pause again here for a second and then uh, we can get to the our main topic or yeah. uh, do we have anything else to any other business to cover here? Uh, I'm good. I, I haven't been pulled so. over. Okay. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I am a uh, 20 year long streak of not getting pulled over. Holy hey. shit. That wow. is so wild good. to me. Okay. That um, wasn't accurate, but I haven't gotten a, a, a ticket or like a moving violation in 20 years. Yeah. I, I told, look, I told the story off air. Listeners aren't going to hear it, but, um, I almost got pulled over last night. I didn't, but almost. All right, uh, we're back, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some tips for maintaining your car and, you know, when do you want to take it to a mechanic? You know, when is it worth it to repair it yourself? Um, 
and uh, what kind of tools you might need for certain basic repairs. And I guess first we want to talk a little bit about like how to not get ripped off by a mechanic. Um, and uh, this is kind of tough to do. I mean, you know, it's it's a consequence of living in capitalism. Uh, it incentivizes greed and, uh, you know, just ripping people off. So it's kind of hard to counter without some knowledge and uh, experience. But um, yeah, I don't know. If, I'm curious if you guys have any tips because I'm I mean, not I sure would if say I have the anything. first thing to do is recognize what is getting ripped off and, and what isn't because yeah. on a number of occasions I've had people come to me with a bill that they got from a mechanic like, can you believe this? And I look at it and I'm like, well, you know, the markup for parts seems a little high, but yeah, you you got a reasonable amount of work done for the price that you paid and they're just shocked. And just as a, a, a commentary, I think it's worth remembering that this discrepancy exists because mechanics are people who are like the rest of us. They're, they're trying to get paid for their trade. And most people don't make enough money to be able to afford any services available like that might be necessary, be it home repair, auto repair, so on and so forth. But like, yeah, that, at the end of the day, really these... the biggest problem is like the cost of repair is high and wages have stagnated. So it feels like the services have gotten outrageously expensive when in reality, we're just not getting paid as much as we used to. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess there, there's definitely some stuff you can look for. Like, I know, like, I don't know. What, what are some of those like scam things that they, they, uh, you know, try to throw in for extra at the, you know, like, Oh, nitrogen in your tires. Is I was about to example. say, yeah. <laughs> nitrogen in your tires. That is, you don't need that. Um, do you, I think this is more common with dealers, um, as opposed to like independent shops, but dealers will offer like, Oh, do you want us to do a fuel injector cleaning? And it's like a hundred or 200 bucks or something. You do not need to do that. That, that is a scam. That is, they're going to run fucking some kind of cleaner through it. And that's it. They, it literally, it's, you can go to the parts store, pick yourself up some like gum out or sea foam or Marvel's mystery oil. And if you use that stuff regularly, which I do recommend, um, you definitely do not need them to clean out your fuel injectors. That is just bullshit. It's, yeah. and they will pressure you to, to do it, um, which they have done to my partner, um, who, who called me at some point and you're like, I'm, should I do this? Cause like they got real snippy with me when I declined the service. I was like, no, that's a fucking scam. Fuck them. If, if you want me to come in there and fucking talk them <laughs> down, I'll do it. Cause like, no, no, yeah. that, th yeah, that is horse shit. Okay. Step one uh, to understand if you're being scammed, are you at a dealership? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, generally the dealership is going to do all kinds of dirty tricks to separate you from your money. And which I will in, in one aspect of defense for dealerships on some projects, an independent shop might struggle because they don't specialize in that car and you will always pay more at the dealer. Like the, the labor rate per hour is more. However, when they specialize in that vehicle, sometimes they get through it faster. They have the expertise to diagnose it quicker. So there is some times where it's okay to go to a dealer, but really... I would only be doing that if you're under warranty and outside this, of that. This is actually something I was going to bring up as well. Try to find an independent shop that does specialize in your vehicle near you. Yes. I mean, it's not always available, but I know there's a Subaru shop 
right by me that does, you know, maintenance and repair, not like a performance shop or anything like that, but just a general maintenance and repair shop that specializes in at least the make of your vehicle, which, you know, for things like that, where you might be tempted to go to a dealer because they are specialized, you're going to get a better deal at an independent shop that does specialize in your vehicle. Yeah. And that's the kind of shop you're going to hear about through word of mouth, through mm-hmm. Facebook groups or forums, usually Facebook groups, because those tend to be more local to you um, yeah. or like word of mouth, like find out the people who have your car, where are they going? Or, you know, it, it's, it's just, yeah, it's good to find someone who specializes in your vehicle. Or if you drive by and you see that shop has six Subarus in the parking lot, that's a good indication. If you yeah. see that they've got a bunch of old Civics, hey, then I would bring my old Honda there. Um, when I go to a shop and it's like, oh, I see they've got 300ZXs and 300, 350Zs or a 240. If you, if I ever see a 240 at a shop, that's probably a good shop to go to for me. But um, look at what's in the parking lots of the shops near you. That's a really good. Um, that's a really good indication of what a shop might be spending their time doing. And on that point, find these shops before you need them. Yeah. That is the biggest thing. Like know where they are before your car is on the side of the road and the tow truck driver is asking you where to take it. You know, that's the yeah. worst time to try to research and find a shop. Be aware of, you know, the good shops in your area before the time comes that you have to have it because you will inevitably inevitably have to have this shop. I mean, you know, I do a lot of work on my own cars, but I still had to take it to a shop. It's going to come down to that. I mean, often, oftentimes I just don't have time. Like it's like, it's Tuesday. The car is broken. I need the car working by Thursday. Right. Not going to be me because I'm working Wednesday and Thursday. You know what I mean? It's like, and then I've got to cook dinner and shit and take the dog out. And it's like, I don't have time to do this shit. So there you, a lot of the time you will encounter situations where you do need a cop unless you have like a fleet of cars, which some of our listeners might, um, that you can rely on. But a lot of did you say need a shop or need a cop? I said, need a, need a fleet of cars. Okay. I I heard cop and I was like, no, you never need a cop. Not a cop. That's, that is not needed. No, 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 of course not. Um, but yeah, no, find these shops beforehand is, is a good um, thing. Um, I, I'd also say one way to know if you're getting ripped off or not, because like sometimes you're just not going to know ahead of time. The difference between like there's dishonest ripping off and then there's like it, they don't know any better ripping. Like sometimes it's just like, hey, you get a bill and it's like way bigger than they expected but if they say like hey some bolts were fucked up or we got in there and discovered that the last person did this fucked up thing and so we had to like go back and do all this extra shit that does happen that's not always a ripping off if they've got a reason for it a lot of times it gets like and you'll hear us talking about it all the time we we go to do a job because we think it's going to be easy and then it takes us 17 plus hours because because something went wrong it's, it happens less at a shop because they have proper equipment and expertise, but it does happen because cars are old and they rust and, you know, bolts get shitty. Um, so sometimes that can happen. So, like, this sometimes, is... oh, I was just going to say, sometimes, you know, maybe you need to get a second opinion. Um, find yes. people around you who know cars, even if they don't specialize. Like, if someone, like, 
might ask Brandon about an opinion about a bill and Brandon might not know a ton about that car, but he can look at the bill and just go, yeah, this actually seems it's high, but like, yeah, it looks reasonable. This is about how many hours this job takes. Like an alternator in on most cars is going to take anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours, right? So if they're charging you six hours of labor, there's a question there, but you know, if it's a head gasket, it's not going to be two hours of labor. It's just not. So you can always know approximately by like where something is located or how difficult it is to, you know, remove, take off or what goes into it. You can estimate about how many hours it takes. And then you just apply that to their labor rate, whatever that is. That could be $80 an hour. That could be $150 an hour. If their labor rate is $200 an hour, uh, maybe find a different shop or you're driving like an Aston Martin or some shit. I, I I don't know, but, um, the late, just take that labor rate and look at how many hours they're actually saying. And then you can always cross-reference that to like YouTube, like yeah. go to YouTube, look up that repair. And if they're like, Hey, this is a 20 minute repair and they're charging you four hours of labor. That's where you start to realize that you're being ripped off. But yeah. like that, so it's, there's just a couple of checks you can do. So you can ask people around you, you can check YouTube, you can see what other people say. And like, so you'll get an idea of, basically how long the job should take and that's kind of the crux like that's how you're going to find out how much something should cost um and then if you're so inclined you can check the parts pricing they're giving you which is almost always going to have a markup from a shop Um, every time i'm offended it's it's the parts markup yeah that's usually the big thing you gotta you gotta pay the bills i get it but i i i had this issue i'm helping a friend with some work on his van hopefully soon I, i don't want him to keep putting it off but like some of the suspension work that they were going to be charging him, this is the same style of van I run, and I love them because, like, the Chevys, they're easy to find parts for, and he was charging him, like, 80 to to $100 per, like, uh, ball joint. And these are things where, like, granted, like, maybe they're not ordering them from Rock Auto, but, like, the mid-tier Rock Auto parts are 10 to $15. Yeah. <laughs> not the cheap ones. Those are 3 to 5 like... Uh, and yeah, so he got this bill for $1,800 or an estimate of $1,800. And I look at it and I'm like, this is an evening's worth of work. And there's like one thing I won't do on here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing to keep in mind, there's, there's something, um, you should be aware of, especially if you're driving kind of a shit box or something, um, as we all have, there's sort of a, a fuck you price, right? Yes, you will get I was going to bring that up as well. There are sometimes you will get a quote that is t- designed to make you not want to do the work or to go somewhere else. This is, they make it so expensive. Oh, you know what? This is going to take me eight hours. And you're like, YouTube says it's going to take me two hours. So like they might be trying to rip you off or they're trying to get you to go somewhere else. And m- now at the same time, if you were to go with them, they'd probably still charge you for what they estimated or Maybe they'd charge you half or like, oh, you know what? It wasn't as bad as I thought. But like the the initial estimate is sometimes designed to make you not do that work with them. Yeah. And another point on that uh, parts markup, any good shop will install parts that you provide them. Yeah. So if you can find the parts and buy them yourself, if, you know, they give you an estimate and they say, hey, it's going to be, you know, an upper and lower ball joint and this bushing say, you know, they, they should be able to write that all out for you in an estimate. You can go and find those parts yourself 
and provide the shop with the parts and say, hey, I want you to use these parts for this job, then all you have to pay is labor. And that's a great option to, you know, kind of split the difference between DIY and having a shop do the actual work. Okay, um, I hate which, to there's a note my own that. ignorance here. I have been told straight up that they would not do that by multiple shops before. So many. So I was about to put some caveats here. Some shops will absolutely refuse to do that. Um, and I would say just because I haven't worked with shops like that or had good experiences with shops like that, I don't go to shops like that. Um, every shop I go to, I can bring my parts, and I do. Mm. But at the same time, a lot of shops will allow you to bring in parts, but one of the caveats they might have is, okay, but then we will not warranty yes. those parts. So, like, you would have to, if the part fails, like, you would have to deal with the warranty stuff. Like, And, and so that can be a little complicated. Like, if, if it breaks and you bring it back and you go, oh, hey, this is fucked up, can you fix it? They're going to be like, well, yeah, but you're going to get charged again. Whereas if you had taken their marked up parts, they would cover everything, no cost to you. Um, so that there's a little bit of a, a risk associated with that. I have never had an, an issue with that personally, um, but that's just something to keep in mind um, that they will oftentimes say, OK, but we won't warranty those parts. And it's like, OK, usually not yeah. an issue. Yeah, if that's a risk you're willing to take, it can save you some money. And yeah, just be aware of that risk that, you know. They're not going to warranty the parts. They should warranty the labor. So say they, you know, installed it incorrectly, and that's what caused the issue. But again, they're probably just going to say, oh, no, it was your parts that you provided us. And, and well, yeah, the, the trouble with that is uh, you if you've brought it to them and you don't know any better, you're going to have a real hard time proving that it was their poor installation. So Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of so – there, so there are some – that's why some of this stuff is just like important to keep in the back of your mind um, going into it. Just like how to approach some of this stuff. Um, and that, I think this all circles around one point that I really want to make, which is you should know how to do the job in an ideal world. You should know exactly what goes into this job. Like Connor was saying, do your research, go on YouTube, look at the job. Even if you don't do it yourself, Understand what goes into the job, how many hours of labor it takes, what the correct way to do it is, you know, what things you need to look out for, what things that, you know, they might gloss over because if they're not specialized in your car, they don't realize that, you know, doing a ball joint in, involves some special little trick and then they might not do that and they might fuck something up and then you can say, hey, I looked it up. I know that you should have done X, Y, and Z to do a ball joint and you didn't do that. And that's why there is an issue. So, you know, as time consuming as it is to research and learn basically how to do it yourself, it can save you in the end. And it certainly takes a lot less time than actually doing it yourself. Well, especially and if you're like a beginner and, you know, of course, this is we're hoping that these episodes are most relevant to our sort of beginner listeners or some of our younger listeners, like when something breaks even if you don't know how to do it, that is the time to learn, right? Because mm -hmm. this is the best opportunity you're going to have to like, oh, I've now experienced this problem. How would I go about fixing this? Now you can look into the fix and say, all right, that's above my ability to do. But when you then understand what goes into it, when you do go to a shop and you do get a quote, you have a pretty good idea of what to expect. And in some cases you can tell a shop ahead of time if there's some certain issues um, that come up. So like, if you're like, 
hey, by the way, keep in mind, when I did my research, I saw that a lot of people have this particular problem. If you don't, you know, if you don't do uh, an idle air re- relearn on after cleaning the throttle body, you could have an issue. And so, like, sometimes it helps to let them know ahead of time so that they don't do the job poorly, right? You can you can kind of control some of those uh, fuck ups before they happen. So, so there's a lot of good reason to to know this stuff before you go in, um, and. You know, you might be surprised, even if you're not, you don't think of yourself as a car expert. You think you're not good enough to, to understand this stuff. I promise you, just looking this stuff up ahead of time, that's how you become an expert. And like, Absolutely. it will not take you nearly as long as you think to start understanding how this but just stuff never forget to, to like always constantly keep repeating. I've done my own research. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we might have talked about this briefly last time but i i haven't of course experienced this myself but i have heard that um you know mechanics will often talk down to women and act like they don't know what they're talking about even if they definitely do know what they're talking about with regards to cars i have heard you know people say if you're a woman just bring any male friend along with you and the, the even if they know will... less yeah even <laughs> if they know less and i like in some senses that feels like a capitulation and it kind of is because it's not solving shit but that is a shitty fucking reality um and i can confirm this is true um my partner will drop off her car at you know the dealership and they get into problems like trying to fucking sell her services that she absolutely does not need and sometimes she'll like they'll pressure her enough she knows i mean my partner's not like an expert in cars but she gets a lot of stuff through osmosis and just can think about stuff pretty rationally and so like they'll pressure her into like some kind of do you need this and she's like uh that doesn't sound like what i need that doesn't sound correct i and sometimes i'll get a text or a call and i'll just be like nope nope definitely not you do not need that we i already fucking did it whatever the case may be i can then say hey yeah they're pulling your chain but i know they pull the chain of everybody that walks in there they're probably just a lot more likely to pressure women and non-male presenting folks. You know what I mean? So like, Mm -hmm. so they might offer the same service to 40 year old Jeff right in there. And you know, he's might say no, and they'll believe him when my partner says, Oh no, I don't need that service. They're like, um, excuse me. Does your small woman brain not work? I just said you need the fuel injector cleaning. You know what I mean? And so uh, the, it'll get to the point where they can actually be rude to my partner, which I upsets me every time. Cause again, I'm like, Hey, this is your fucking customer. Like get the fuck out of here with this shit. But, um, it makes me frustrated every time. Uh, and I have, do not have a solution to that yet. So sometimes I do go in there with her if depending on the situation. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's an unfortunate reality that yes, mechanics will talk down to women. Uh, doesn't matter whether it's a corporate dealership or uh, a lot of times an independent shop too. Um, so I would say if you find a shop that seems like it doesn't do that, that's a probably a really good shop to keep going to. Yeah. Yeah. I re- I can't remember where, but I recently heard a story where a guy was talking about how anytime his friend needed work done by a professional mechanic he would go with her and uh she just always got like a real kick out of the way that 
the mechanic would always talk directly to the guy who, by his own admission, knew nothing about cars or mechanic work. Meanwhile, uh, the girl that, you know, had brought the dude with her worked on an F1 team in Europe uh, previously. Yeah, Yeah, it's so gross. I heard a version of that because one of my old co-workers used to drag race a um, Mitsubishi Eclipse and like worked on it herself and everything and yeah you you gotta you can't drag race an eclipse and not be a fucking expert in that <laughs> yeah. car. like that is yeah. like, <laughs> you said eclipse i was like damn she must be fucking good <laughs> and yeah those are not known for the reliability yeah well i think she had to take it in for like a recall or something on the um uh some part of the all-wheel drive system like the transfer case or whatever and the guy's like, yeah, you know, I had to, like, you know, take all this stuff out of the way. It took, you know, three hours or whatever. And she's like, oh, really? Because uh, last time I did that, it took me, like, 30 minutes. I just, you know, <laughs> did this, this, and this, and it was real easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, knowledge is power. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Um, yeah. And, again, this goes to one of those things that, like, just bone up on on the job before you take it in, especially if you are a woman, non-binary person, um, trans, whatever. Definitely bone up on it, because when you go in, you if they start giving you bullshit and you get that phone call of, OK, hey, here's what we ran into. You can kind of know, oh, you know, actually, when I looked it up, I didn't see that as being a common issue. You know, it, it doesn't take much push back a lot of times before they figure out that you kind of know what you're talking about and that's usually when they'll stop fucking with you when you can demonstrate that like no i have a pretty good idea what goes into this um you become a very difficult mark uh so they're a lot less likely to continue the grift um something we haven't mentioned yet which has kind of just been how i've done things for many years i recommend if you can Find out through whatever community you're in, through word of mouth or whatever, who a good shop is. Um, But once you find a good shop, maintain a good relationship with, you know, that shop. And that, like, bring your business to them. Try not to, like, be, you know, fucky about paying and stuff. Like, if you can go and just, like, be a good customer, um, a good shop will take care of you. Uh, for yeah. a long, long you, time. You got to keep them in line. Always let them know that you do have a friend that can do it cheaper. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do not do that. Um, absolutely do not do that. But like it, it helps, especially like if you can develop a rapport where like you, you they know that you know what you're doing and like they'll be a lot of times a lot more cool. Like if you can actually just talk about cars and stuff in general and just almost have like a bit of a, you know, a, a friend, a friendly type of relationship. They're a lot less likely to fuck with you, and a lot of times you'll you can start to get a little bit of the friend pricing, which I mean has been how I've done it for years. When I was like really young and broke, I used to go to a different shop, um, and I used to be able to talk shop with them, whatever, and talk about cars. And I knew a, a good amount, and you know after after not too long, I, they let me run a tab, which you know was really helpful for a young broke kid. Um, with a Camaro, <laughs> um, being able to run a tab was was really good. So like they would do the work, I could pick up the car, and I could just pay them hundred, two hundred bucks a week or something until I paid it off. Um, and I did that for years. And so 
now he's almost got it paid off. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a point in time where that became a problem because like I gave him a bunch of money up front to rebuild the engine in my Camaro and they, they did take a long time to get to it. And I, my relationship with them was like souring a little bit, not souring, but like it just wasn't as good as it, as it had been previously. Cause I had moved and it was, I was busy. And so like, I couldn't keep that up as much. Also, this was like pre Trump, but like, the right wing was getting a lot more shitty and I was also becoming more left wing as I went. And I started to be like, yo, this is like, you're racist and shit. Like it started to rub me the wrong way. So that's kind of why that became a more difficult relationship to maintain. So, yeah, I mean, there's a whole plenty of long story there, but it, it, it got to a situation where I gave the money up front to do it. It took them a really long time to do it. And then I quit my other job got a bunch of medical debt and then started driving a truck over the road where I made fucking no money. And I was in really desperate financial situation for like a year and a half. And so when they finished the car, I no longer had the money to pay them. And like, yeah, I was able to like pay them a little at a time, but it was taking longer than they would have liked. So that became a situation, but thank God I had the ability to pay slowly because if I didn't like, I straight up could not afford that shit at all. Like, I was fucked, fucked. So, you know, having a good relationship with a shop allows certain advantages. Being able to pay over time or getting friend pricing, which, like, the shop that I go to now, um, I met through when I worked at O'Reilly's delivering parts, and I could go and hang out and talk to them and whatever. Um, and he's he's just a friend now. Um, so, his, and his pricing is generally very good. Um, and you can tell he does general maintenance and you know, regular repairs for a lot of regular ass cars, but you know, it's a good shop because there's a bunch of like shitty old, like cool cars parked in the parking lot. He's got, he's an expert in, um, the Mitsubishi 3000 GT and Dodge stealth. Uh, um, oh damn. <laughs> which nobody wants to work on those, yeah. but he, he isn't, he is an expert in those cars. So like anyone in the area who has those cars, brings those to him like i've seen in the shop he pretty regularly has like sub twenty thousand mile vr4s in the shop okay yeah like yeah it's so he does like the twin turbo stuffs on those and you know so he'll just do like general maintenance on a lot of those cars and he'll he has one himself but he works on you know engine swapped 240s he works on my shit he works on you know my camaros there it's like if you drive by this shop you can see the parking lot is full of camaro you know my 350z sometimes 240s 3000 gts you know old hondas you know shit like that so like you drive by and you're like oh it's not a performance shop but it's a shop that is willing to deal with aftermarket like modified cars and generally speaking a shop that is more willing to deal with modified cars is a really good option um, cause it means they're willing to deal with stuff that's out of the ordinary. Cause a lot of shops just, they don't, they won't touch it. I would stay away from a shop that's not willing to touch that kind of stuff. Um, especially like if you're a listener to this show and you like cars to go fast or you have one, um, or a car that's modified, it can be tough to find a shop. So when you find one that is willing to touch modified fucking cars, like it, it helps a lot. So through this guy, I get a sweetheart deal. I mean, I get really good pricing. Um, he lets my car just hang out there and he'll work on it when he gets to it. And he doesn't care if it's there for, you know, months at a time. <laughs> uh, that's unusual. 
but because I can, I've found that chop and I can maintain that kind of relationship that helps a fuckload. Like it really does. So like when you find a good chop like that, treat them well, get them paid, do whatever, you know, it's good to maintain that kind of a relationship once you have it. Um, and that you can keep that up for years, years and years. And I mean, really that's, that's good to go. I haven't taken any vehicle of my own to a mechanic in probably going on 10 years now. And I would kill to have one mechanic that I really trusted and liked that could do the work that I needed just to have in my back pocket. Like, yeah, yeah. I never will use it probably, but man, what, what, what about that day when uh, I just can't do it or it requires tools that I don't feel like buying, et cetera, et cetera. Wish that I had one of those guys. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good to have. Yeah, for sure. And a case of beer goes a long way. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've a few times brought my, uh, my mechanic. I found out what, what his preferred whiskey bottle is. And I'm like, I will bring you a bottle of whiskey. Yep. <laughs> um, but that's the kind of stuff that like, that's what helps you uh, long run is that kind of shit. Yeah. If you're going in early coffee and donuts, n- never bums anybody out. Yeah. 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 And this doesn't have to be like, uh, like a trick or ingenuine. Like you're not trying to pull one over on anybody. Like this is just like connecting with real people in a genuine way. You'll find is, is generally pretty helpful. <laughs> yeah. 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 I appreciate you is not a scam. It is actually just saying I appreciate you. Yeah. No, yeah. those are all good. Yeah. I just wanted to like get through that, like, because that's how I've done things for years, even with, you know, other previous shops and stuff. That is how I've done stuff. And I've gotten a lot of work done for uh, a lot less money than it might otherwise cost. Yeah. And a lot less headache than it might otherwise cost. So, yeah, a little, little bribery never hurt no one. Mm hmm. Oh, also sometimes paying in cash. Yeah. Um, some shops yeah. do not want to report it on their books. So sometimes paying in actual cash um, can be can be a good deal. I've definitely I'm crass as hell. And I will often just straight up say, is it any cheaper if it's cash? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of times they appreciate the question. So. <laughs> well, cool. I I guess moving on to our next, I don't know, uh, topic or whatever, like what are some jobs that you would do yourself and what would you take to a professional and i guess this depends at least for me like mostly on what tools i have and how long it's gonna take like how long i can be without the car you know basically because as we covered before like you know my amateur ass with my shitty tools can't do a job as quick as a professional mechanic with you know professional grade tools so I don't know what are what are your thoughts on on some of this stuff? Like I guess well I guess let me say like some things that I would I would always take uh, to a, a mechanic because I don't have the tools myself is um, alignment, um, mm-hmm. getting tires mounted and balanced because you need a very special machine for that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, like you know I don't know if I would like rebuild an engine myself. Like I mean it's a possibility. Like if I had like an entire winter to work on a car in the garage or something like that. But I don't know if I would do that at the, this point in my life. You know, I think I'd rather leave that kind of thing to a, a professional. I've also like, I, I, uh, 
took my Sabaru 2 mechanic to get the tr- the clutch replaced because I didn't have a uh, any kind of a like a hoist or jack or lift or whatever to to move the um, transmission out of the way. Like I probably could have done that myself and rigged up something, but I was like, yeah, whatever. This guy will do it for five hundred bucks. So. You know. Yeah, it's sometimes you don't want a transmission on your chest. Yeah, <laughs> it's just sometimes it's it, it, it depends, right? Like sometimes you can it's like, yeah, I could do this job on my own, but like mm, I could pay to have someone else do it. They'll do it much quicker. You know, I can't get this stuff until the weekend. So if the car's broken on Monday, it's kind of like, uh, can I wait? <laughs> can I yeah. wait to do it on the weekend and then possibly not finish it or fuck it up? You know what I mean? So it all depends on timing and what kind of, you know, is this your project car? Um, I'd be a lot less likely to bring a car that I'm not relying on or that doesn't even fucking work yet. Like I'm willing to do, I'd be a lot more ambitious with something like that than my daily driver. Yeah. I was going to say, sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, one thing that I think a lot of people will try to do themselves that maybe they shouldn't is AC. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Throwing throwing a bottle of refrigerant into an AC system is not really uh, the way to go about that. You do need to balance the low side and high side pressures and make sure that there is oil in the system. And just going to the parts store and buying one of those refrigerant cans and, and slapping it in there might actually make your AC system work worse or could potentially cause issues. So I think most shops will do an AC recharge for like a hundred dollars. You know, if, if your AC system is legitimately just low on refrigerant for some reason, you could always do it yourself, but that never seems to be the case. I think there's, well, yeah, there's always a, reason a secondary issue. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's, there's a, a reason leak. it's low. There's a leak. There's something going on. That's something that, you know, is very, very cheap to just have a shop do. And you probably shouldn't do yourself. I do have a set of AC gauges and I have done it myself in the past, but I've also breathed in a lot of refrigerant that, you know, is not good for me or the environment. So, you know, maybe you just have a shop do it. It's really not worth it most of the time to try to say that. that. Uh, I, I did have, um, I, I did add Freon to my system, which did not help uh, when I did it. Uh, I brought it to my sh- my guy's shop who he does not do AC stuff. So he does he just doesn't have the equipment to do it. But he added more Freon and he went, you know, it tells you, OK, stop once you're in the green. And he's like, well, I just kept going, <laughs> and apparently, <laughs> which you're really not supposed to do. Um, yeah. But he added a fuckload more to it and it actually did work. Sort of. It's not great. It doesn't work super well if I'm at idle and it sounds fucking nasty, but it has held up for about a year. Um, so far, so I know there's, I'm, I, I'm definitely leaking. In fact, I found the leak like a couple weeks ago. I happened to be looking up and I went, Oh, like there it is. I could see a bunch of green crusty shit on one of the hose, uh, one of the, one of the lines. And I was like, all right, well, there's the fucking leak. So at some point I'm going to go to a, a shop that actually can do AC stuff, uh, and have them change that out and possibly the compressor too. But yeah, you know, it's worth it to try for 40, 50 bucks at the parts store to add Freon. And if that doesn't work it, if that doesn't work, go to a shop or it might work, but it'll probably be temporary because there's usually a reason you're low on Freon. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I was going to just say like, there's a few basic things that like 
I, I believe that anyone can do with just a few basic tools and some know-how. Like uh, we covered some of this stuff in the last episode, but like changing your own oil, pretty easy to do. Um, mm-hmm. Changing the, the brake pads and rotors, pretty easy to do. Like rotating your tires or like changing out, you know, summer tires and wheels for winter tires and wheels. Uh, that's something you can do yourself and you don't have to take it to the, the tire shop or whatever, as long as you have, you know, your tires on another set of wheels. So there, I mean, there's a few things that you can do just like basic sensor changes. Yeah. Changing your air filter and your cabin yep. air filter. Oh yeah. Which Never is- pay to have that done. That's stupid. Yeah. Easy. yeah. 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 If you're listening to the show and maybe you're not confident in your abilities and you think like, oh, I'm not very good yet. You can absolutely do the air filter and cabin air filter and don't ever pay for that. You should do it. I don't care who you are. You can do it. Yeah. You know, like I would say, you know, maybe start with some small stuff and, you know, get the confidence and then work your way up to maybe some of the bigger things. But like, yeah, I mean, I know people that aren't, you know, like car enthusiasts at all that will do the brakes on their car because it's a lot cheaper than taking it to a shop, Mm -hmm. you know, less so than... I think every average shop cost for doing brakes is somewhere about anywhere from five to seven hundred per axle. Ooh, so yeah, yeah. So it's like five to seven hundred for the front, five to seven hundred for the back. That's usually parts and labor, but yeah. So a typical brake job for all four wheels, you're almost certainly going to be leaving the shop with a bill of twelve to fifteen hundred dollars, almost yeah. always. Which is why people do it themselves because you can get the parts which admittedly are often pretty expensive but you know pads and rotors that's going to run you somewhere between 250 and 500 uh and then it's going to be a few hours of your time yep but that's that can be a lot less than obviously you know 1500 dollars. yeah definitely and i don't know what are your thoughts on on like what stuff would you take to uh, your car to the mechanic for and rather than doing yourself alignments. So I would do a lot of like, Brandon, did um, you say LS swap? <laughs> no, I, I guess my mic, I think is being terrible today. Um, no, I said alignment. Oh yeah. 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 Alignments for sure. Which for the, um, for the ambitious listener, they do sell track alignment kits. If you just want a quick and dirty, easy alignment, you can, there are ways to do it at home. Um, it'll use like toe plates, uh, which are just plates that go on your front front or rear tires. And you would use two tape measures in the front and back to adjust those to either be toe in, toe out or uh, pretty straight. Um, or they'll use like you know, tape measure strings and shit. So there's things like that um, that you can do. There's also like I've, I don't know if they work, but little magnetic things that stick to the wheel and can actually use like a level um, with a bubble in the little liquid tube uh so that you can adjust camber so that so there are some like home ways you can do that but for the most part um a computer alignment is going to cost you what a lot of shops do somewhere between 60 and 100 dollars um for all four wheels um that's hard to beat (laughs) yeah yeah um it's it can be hard for really really low cars um so that's a whole thing is finding someone who can do that shit yeah. Which for me is is a challenge because um, there's not many shops that do it. And so, I mean, I did hear like when I had my Miata, it had double wishbone suspension. And that's a little bit unusual. And some shops are more used to working on cars with struts. 
I, I did call around to a couple shops and say, hey, just, you know, checking, will you uh, work on a car that, that has double wishbone suspension? And they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, we do that. So, I don't know, worth checking sometimes. Yeah. But I'm sorry, did I interrupt someone earlier? Did someone else have something? Uh, I don't think you interrupted anybody. But just to wrap this up, I would say, you know, what you're going to take to a shop versus what you're going to do is very dependent on your skill level. And, you know, don't ever feel bad taking your vehicle to a shop if you feel like you're in over your head or you just can't do something right now. You know, keep doing what you can do, build up that confidence, and you'll get there eventually, you know. Yeah. If you feel like you can't do it right now, just just keep going at it, and you will be able to do it eventually. Well, yeah, and you should never feel bad about, like, there's all kinds of stuff that, like, I could do and I choose not to because one, I'm like, Ugh, do I want to risk doing it myself? Do I have the time to do it? Do I have the money to do it twice? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I know how to, in theory, rebuild an engine. But, like, when I spend thousands of dollars in parts, can I afford to fuck those parts up, right? Can I, can I afford yeah. to buy another engine if I don't do it right? Like, me... I, I would like to rebuild an engine in the future um, at some point, but I would like to do it on an engine that just needs a quick rebuild for repair that I'm not adding expensive parts to. Because, like, if I bought pistons and rods and all this special fancy shit and then I blew up that engine, I'd feel really bad. <laughs> so yeah. work your way up. But a lot of stuff, even rebuilding an engine isn't the worst thing if you follow the steps and you you know use assembly lube and and you pay attention to what other people say about rebuilding that particular engine you can do it it's just that's a time-consuming project um yeah so it's one of that's like practice on a car you care a little bit less about don't don't do your first engine rebuild when you've spent you know eight thousand dollars on new engine parts take that to a professional just for sure good idea um, a lot of upper engine stuff, though, you might be surprised you can do. Um, and by upper engine, I mean everything basically above the cylinder heads. Um, cylinder heads, even that can be uh, doable. There's just there's a certain procedure for how you do it. You have to torque those to spec. Um, you have to, you know, of course, any of this work on an engine, you're, you're going to have to probably torque down in a certain pattern, like a star pattern, or like you're going to have to start with the bolts inside and work your way out. Um, so you have to look up those procedures, but like a lot of even beginners can like take apart an intake, right? You can take apart, um, change your intake gaskets or, you know, remove your fuel injectors. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's a pretty quick, um, job to do that kind of stuff. So don't be scared off because it's like, oh my God, I got to like take off the fuel injectors and stuff. Oh, that's too much look into it like look at the steps and see if that seems like something you can do because a lot of times it, it probably is so like yeah. upper engine is usually not too bad it's it's really just bolting parts on and off uh if it's an accessory like an alternator or a starter um that's almost always just it's a f- two to three bolts that hold it to in its place and you can just take it right off right so it, it's usually stuff that's like not terribly too complicated or a pulley on the engine usually something a beginner can do headers can be tough (laughs) so there's just different things it it always helps to just look up the steps ahead of time and you'll you'll get an idea of whether you think you can do it or not from that i would say alternator might be one of the most common ones that feels like a 
big job that's really not like you know you got a bad battery and you go to get it tested at the parts store and they say oh well the battery's fine it's probably your alternator and immediately people think shit i gotta take this to a shop they're gonna charge me out the ass i can't do an alternator myself an alternator is arguably on the car depending on what vehicle it is easier than doing brakes you know oh, yeah. i could oh, i can yeah, do an absolutely. alternator on my subaru in five minutes yeah i mean it's stupid stupid easy like you know alternators can be really really simple i don't know every car is different and you know maybe yours is a little more challenging but in general i think alternators are one of those things that more people should diy that's definitely a very very doable job yeah well on a subaru it's real easy it's right on top of the engine right in the front yeah it's it's <laughs> extremely easy like yeah I would put it on the same level as like changing your oil or maybe even easier because you don't even yeah. have to jack the car up off the ground. You just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just so. got to open the hood and, and do it. It's three bolts and the thing comes off and, and there you go. Yeah. I mean, on my Toyota, it's a little bit harder. It's like down on the side of the engine underneath a bunch of stuff. So I'd probably have to come in from underneath. But yeah, I mean, it's it's usually pretty doable on most engines like you know, same for, I don't know, like a power steering pump. I mean, that's maybe a little mm -hmm. bit more messy, but it is something that you can change yourself if you need to. Changing yeah. your radiator is a good is a good example, yep. too. Oh, yeah. That's usually yeah. not too much. I mean, um, you want to look up the procedures for bleeding your coolant system, right? So, mm -hmm. like, you might get, you're going to get air in your system. You have to look up the procedure for how you get that air out of the system, how you properly fill it so that you don't overheat and stuff. Um, but once you know that, you pop off the hoses. It's usually two to four bolts. It would probably maybe you know a little bit, a few more with the fans and everything. But like, there's a couple electrical connectors for the fans. You take the fan off. You take the radiator off. You put a new one in. It really, it's it is it is a handful of bolts. Yeah. And I mean, this is these are a lot of the major systems of the car: the radiator, the alternator, the power steering pump, shit like that. Like the intake. That's like. I don't know, 30% of what could go wrong with the car at that point. Like, yeah. so just a, a handful of bolts, a few simple tools, and you can do a whole lot of shit. You can change a wiper motor if that goes out, right? If your windshield wipers aren't working, a wiper motor or the linkage, very easy to replace. Um, so shit like that is, it might feel intimidating at first. It feels like you get that news and like your heart sinks and you're just like, oh, look it up. That's always got to be step one. Like, look up how it how it's done because a lot of times it is a lot easier than it sounds. Yeah, yeah. Should we move on to tools, or was there something else? I think we can move on to tools. Okay. So I think, you know, generally speaking, like there's a few basic tools that you can get to do most repairs, and then like if you're doing certain specialized repairs. Uh, you might need a specialized tool or there's like certain tools that can like help speed up jobs like an impact gun or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say like if you're just changing the wheels and tires out um, or like changing a flat tire, you can do that with the jack and the tire iron that comes with the car. It might be a pain in the ass, but you can do it. Um, what I would recommend for anybody listening to this actually get a, get a section of pipe at the hardware store. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Go get a good, like go get maybe a couple different sizes. Go get like a one inch pipe, go get a two inch pipe or an inch and a half or something and get a cup, maybe like a one foot pipe 
get a two foot pipe. This is to make a cheater bar. So something you could put over the end of, say, a tire iron or a breaker bar to extend the length of the lever that you have so that you can put a lot more torque on it. Because making a like making um, a breaker bar longer is like you add torque really, really quickly. Um, yeah, because that's just how how it works. I have I recently to... learned I recently learned the ratio of that, which is every one foot is uh, doubling the force. So if you have a foot long uh, cheater bar and you put a hundred pounds of force into it, that is two hundred pounds of force applied to the bolt. Yeah, boom. Now, there you go. Like I have I have a couple different pipe sections because. Um, and I, I don't, it's rare that I need to use this because I'm changing my wheels so often, but like I change my wheels a lot, right? I have winter tires. I have to change my wheels at the track. So it's a common thing. I have a really long breaker bar to do my, um, to do my lug nuts, which it helps. I can snug them up real easy. I don't have to go crazy and whatever. They're all, my wheels are all very secure, but because I have such a long breaker bar, they're all easy to break off. However, with me, I keep a bar just in case I accidentally snug one on too tight or it gets a little rusty. I can slip that pipe over the end of it. And I mean, then I've got like a three and a half foot bar. So like there is nothing that can stand up to that. So like, and it works for, you know, I can use it on anything. So any of my ratchets or whatever, a lot of suspension parts will sometimes they're a little more uh, exposed to the elements. They can rust and get really, really snug on there. Um, so at any point in time, I can just bust out the cheater bar and I have like, you know, a a simple, you know, foot and a half bar and I just slip it over the ratchet and now almost no bolt can stand up to that. Uh, so that is a very cheap thing to get. And it's one of those things that like, when you have it, you'll be really thankful you have it. Also, if you're doing work on your car, you probably have a floor jack already, uh, or you should, uh, even for just like oil changes. I didn't for so long, and it was such a. I used a scissor jack for so long. <laughs> oh God, yeah, no, don't be like yeah. Connor. Don't don't do be that. like me. Yeah, go get a floor jack. <laughs> go get a floor jack, and most of them have a two piece handle that you can just unscrew mm-hmm. a little bolt in the middle, and then that back half of that handle, boom, cheater bar, right there. Yep. You don't even have to go buy a second one. You just you've got one built into your floor jack. Yeah, and like uh, you can get. Like I've got a uh, like the just the Harbor Freight electric impact uh, drill gun thing, and you know that'll work for some stuff. But like sometimes you just got to use a cheater bar, long leverage to get that loose, um, rather than sit there and go deca 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 for ten minutes until <laughs> yeah. the battery runs down. You know. I think uh, yeah. Now, now's a good time to explain the double wrench as well. Oh, I've never so, quite mastered that. I uh, yeah, I have really? not mastered that. I've tried, really? and it's just I I fuck it up every time. But yes, please go into it. <laughs> yeah, so as long as you can get the box end, not the open end of a wrench on a bolt. So say you can't get a socket and a cheater bar on there. As long as you can get the box end of the wrench on that bolt, so you have the open end out, like where your hand would be, you can slip the box end of a slightly larger wrench over that open end and you kind of you know it's hard to explain it's hard to explain that's the problem (laughs) it's hard to explain but the the box end slips over the open end the the tooth i guess you could say on the open end of the wrench that you're going to be pressing towards and if you slip that open end over or slip the box end over the open end 
you created a wrench that's now twice as long and you can pull on that second wrench and have essentially a cheater bar built out of wrenches. Yep. Yeah. You'll have to, uh, if you need that trick, you'll have to maybe try it a couple times. Like, Oh wait, which way do you push this? But you'll slip it over in such a way that like, eventually it'll be like, Oh, I clearly have a longer wrench now. Yeah. Yeah. You got to kind of figure out the mechanics of how to create that lever system. But once you get it figured out, it is very useful. I use that trick all the time. Um, I was also just going to say like quick rundown of like, what tools do you need yeah. starting out? Any, anything you need a ratchet set. Okay. hundred percent. You need a ratchet set. Go get one. It's going to cost you a little bit of money, um, but go yeah. get yourself like a craftsman set or something with, it'll come with, you know, two to three ratchets or maybe just one, but it'll come with sockets, a few 12 point, a few six points, and it'll f- a few different sizes of ratchet, right? You've got your quarter inch, three eighths inch and your half inch. And you probably want it to be metric uh, unless you're working on something old. Uh, a lot of those sets come with both um, yeah. SAE and yeah. metric. And I do recommend having both. Yeah. Because a lot of cars, they switch between the two. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you, you need a ratchet set. That is like step one. And even if you start small, you, you can buy that almost piecemeal, right? Like it'll be one ratchet and it'll come with a bunch of sockets. Then you buy another set of sockets and another set of sockets, like six point, twelve point, whatever. You can just keep buying sockets, deep well, and the short ones, right? Because sometimes you only have room for a short one. Sometimes it's a really long bolt with a nut on it, and you need the deep wells. So you know that's either you can buy it in one big set or a little at a time. But you do need a pretty comprehensive ratchet set. That's going to be important for just about every job on the car. Maybe we could uh, maybe we could put this link in the uh, show notes or something. But Home Depot has a Husky 290 piece mechanics tool set. Comes in a nice box, has everything in there. It's a great set to get you started. It's one that I keep in my garage. Um, most of my tools I have at my dad's place. Uh, that's where I keep most of my tools. But I just have this 290 piece set in my garage, and I get I completely disassemble the car with this set of tools. Yeah. Like, Engine out, transmission out, entire suspension, everything with this set of tools. It's 250 bucks. I found it on sale. I found it on sale for $100. Oh my so God. Yeah. That's... Keep your eyes peeled for, for, for deals on it. But it, even at $250, completely worth it just to have around. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's not a ton of money when you consider how much you're going to save doing things yourself, you know, depending on the job, like a brake job that, that pays for itself in one brake job. Yeah. And it comes with wrenches, comes with three ratchets, comes with all the sockets. I mean, it is not every single tool you will ever need, but it is a damn good start. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, if you're doing anything under the car, you want to have not only the floor jack, but the jack stands. Yeah, absolutely. And don't get those from Harbor Freight. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well you can get the, jack, the you can get the floor jack from harbor freight i have you a, get the a harbor jack. freight floor jack that i am very very happy with yes yeah the floor jack absolutely get from harbor freight that's all i ever use is harbor freight floor jacks and they're great but maybe not the jack stands they tend to they had some issues fail. they they had some issues they they should be better now but uh they did have some issues yeah. well they had some issues and then the next line that they came out with also had issues so i just <laughs> flat out don't trust the harbor freight ones anymore <laughs> Yeah. And those are pretty cheap. I think they're like around 50 bucks from the parts store. Just get the parts store ones, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, so get yourself some jack stands. Get yourself a floor jack. I don't recommend the like thirty dollar husky one or whatever. Like, um, get like a a real floor jack. Um, one with yeah. like that's a little bit heavy, right? The like the really big box. Get that one. You'll be happy. Those other ones, they can be. They're a little bit dinky. It's nice you can carry them around and stuff, but like, I mean, my husky one shit out after like two uses. I'm pissed about it still. Damn, that's yeah. I have a husky one that's still hanging on after like a year of use. Yeah, my and I, I was gonna return, and I just I was like, fuck this, because it was like the second husky thing that I had that went to shit real fast, and I was like, ugh, I was kind of unhappy with it. Yeah. So yeah, that was a whole fucking thing so now i figured out a way to bring my giant floor jack with me when i go to drift events because like i bought it specifically for drift events because i was like i want something that i can put in the car um and now i'm just bringing the big floor jack whatever um i just put it on the floor in the front seat if i'm i can't bring a passenger obviously but yeah so that's floor jack is good jack stands are good uh if you have a lowered car or a generally car that is just low it gk tech has uh some low profile ramps that are about i think an inch and a half or two inches tall that i use so that i can actually get the jack under the car because of course a regular floor jack will not fit under the front of my car um easily so like so, you have to drive it up on a ramp and then I, jack it up mm-hmm. i have to oh. ja- I, yeah so they're like really so like i can, and i can't roll up on like those big um the ones you see at the parts store those like big like they're almost six inch tall ramps I yeah. can't go. I'm I'm way too low to go up on those. Like I'll I'll, I'll just hit the bumper and push them. So mm. I have to go. Yeah. So I have to go on the little ramps. Um. I think they were like a hundred bucks or something. They're really not bad. They're made out of plastic. They're really light. They're very robust. Um. So yeah. If you have a lowered car, that is, or you're planning on lowering your car, I highly recommend getting the GK Tech uh, low profile ramps. Will a low profile jack work under your car, or is it <laughs> that's how I get that? that's how I get my low profile jack under my car? Wow, okay. <laughs> I'm not even yeah. that low. I'm not even crazy low. Like I'm not a stance car. Okay, I have very practical uh, low ride height, and yeah, that that is what I have to do to get the low profile Harbor Freight jack under the car. Yeah, uh, there's spots or, like I can get it under the rear just fine. I can yeah. get it under the side of the car just fine, but like when I want to put it on jack stands and in the garage and I got to come from the front. And so I cannot get under the, like, I just don't have enough room to get under the bumper um, that way. Mm. Yeah. And then also jack it up. Right. Cause that handle has to move a little bit. So yeah, I have to go up on the ramps. Yeah. For reference, uh, a three ton long reach, low profile professional floor jack with rapid pump from Harbor freight is 240 bucks. So, yeah, which you yeah. can, which if you go to Harbor Freight, it'll be on sale. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I think I it'll paid never a lot less than that. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what I paid, but I got that jack, 100% that jack. It's the Pittsburgh one, right, Red? Yep. Yeah. Uh, actually, actually, it's Daytona, which oh. is, I think, their, their higher end line. Uh, I think it is. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. That's the higher end. Yeah. They've got more basic, you know, two ton low profile jacks uh, from Pittsburgh for 120 bucks. Okay, that's probably the one I have. Yeah. It's yeah. big too, by the way. Like that hundred and twenty dollars yeah. does a lot of work. It's is a big fucking jack. Yeah. And when it comes to jacks, uh for most passenger vehicles, two ton is more than enough. You don't necessarily yeah. need three ton. Um that's really if you're working on like a truck or a big van. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Keep in mind, you're only ever good you're only ever gonna have maximum half the weight of the vehicle on, on a jack. Yeah. yeah. Right? Because you can't balance the vehicle on the jack, so Well, 
you shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I saw this video of, uh, I think it was in Romania. Sorry, this is a little side tangent. Um, They have a narrow gauge railway and they um, got a diesel Ford uh, like minivan and put like, uh, like train wheels on it. And we're like rolling it on the, the railway. And then when they got to like the station, they had to jack it up in the middle at the very center and spin it around to go the other way. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. That's unless unless that. you're operating a narrow gauge railway in Romania, then you're allowed to do that. Yes. <laughs> um, on top of those tools, uh, I suppose you also need screwdrivers and... Uh, uh, I would also recommend getting uh, a hook and pick set. Yes. Because, like, that's one that I didn't know I needed until I had a pick and hook. And I was like, oh, my God, this makes getting hoses off so much fucking easier. Yeah. Like, night and fucking day. There are hoses where you could just pull on it and you just feel you're like, I'm, I'm a weakling. I often I'm always like, I'm going to I cannot I'm not strong enough to take this fucking hose off but you stick a little fucking hook in there and, and pull at it and it'll come right off. So that's very, very good. So screwdrivers, your ratchet set. And then, you know, from there, it's pretty much odds and ends. You need pliers, uh, Mm -hmm. wire cutters and channel locks. And outside of that, it's odds and ends. Yeah. I I would say is the big one. Allen wrenches are good to get. And a lot of tool sets will come with Allen wrenches. They will come with it. Yeah. But, or, or Allen bars and sockets. Pry bars, yes, for sure. Um, I was going to say uh, stuff like penetrating oil and brake cleaner. Oh, and a long magnet. Yeah. yeah. You're going to drop shit, and you better hope that it's magnetic. <laughs> oh, go, go, yeah. And by the way, I'm using a Harbor Freight uh, magnetic light um, with like, Ooh. it's got a bend, it's bendable in the middle, and it's like an LED light. And it's, it is a workhorse for me. Um, it's rechargeable and it lasts for hours. And yeah, it's got a couple different lighting settings. That was like $25. But whatever you're doing, you're going to have to get some lighting. Uh, I recommend getting something that is battery powered, uh, rechargeable, um, preferably. And I also mm-hmm. recommend getting some of the plugs in, right? So something that has like one of those like big old switch on it, but it's got a regular light bulb in there on a cage on a fucking wire. Get one of yep. those. Yeah. And a headlamp. Yeah, headlamp is always good. Yeah, go to like a camping store or just, you know, even Walmart sells them. Just something you can stick on your head. Yeah. Very helpful. Uh, Definitely also recommend personally, because I got this as a Christmas gift from my partner. I will admit I am a little ignorant on the cost, Um, but I did get a Milwaukee backpack that is uh, fucking amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. I love it. Um, it's probably a little bit pricey, but it's very good for someone who wants to travel with tools. So if you want to like have a set of tools that you can just grab a bag and put it in your car, the Milwaukee bag is pretty fucking solid. Yeah. So I do have that. It's got like a hard bottom, um, but it holds pretty much everything I use is in that bag, uh, which is really great for me because I can bring that. I can pop that in the car for drift events. Um, and it's got a million fucking slots. It's got tons of space. Um, and I have pretty much everything I use uh, fits in there for the most part, except my ratchet set. So I bring that separate, but I bring a ratchet set and that. Um, so that's a really good option. If you 
work on friends or family's cars or whatever, you need to travel with your tools for any reason, I do recommend having maybe not the Milwaukee backpack, but like a a solid bag that you can use um, to carry your tools. Uh, and I definitely recommend having like at least a little travel pack of tools. Like so they'll sell they'll sell these at Walmart and shit. It'll just be like a a simple quarter inch ratchet, uh, maybe a, an adjustable wrench, shit like that. A couple screwdrivers. That that is something you should keep in the car in case you break down. You're on the side of the road. And you just need maybe a couple of basic tools to fix something. That comes in handy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I trust the the Walmart set, but. Um, I mean, you, it's one of those. You're on the side of the road. Yeah. I, <laughs> you can tr- you can trust it enough, I suppose. Yeah. Whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did have that kind of basically on in the saddlebag of my moped. I had an adjustable wrench, a couple screwdrivers, and I think you know whatever size socket I needed to like change out the jets or whatever. Yeah. So, but I think we got to wrap up here soon. Um, so we we'll probably have another episode in this series before too long anything that we uh that we missed that we might want to mention before the end here uh, you can I do it think of anything yeah you yeah. can do it that's the big one just look it up you can do it and with these are the basic tools obviously you can have plenty more and this and that and you know you can have an impact on all this crazy stuff whatever but the basic tools you can acquire and generally most jobs you can look up ahead of time to see you know, what's required. And that's that's good to know whether you're doing the job yourself or you're going to a professional because either way, in both of those situations, knowledge is power regardless yeah. of the situation. So, And yeah. real quick, real quick before we get off, I just remembered, part stores will rent so many tools, so oh, many oh, more yeah. specific tools that you might need for a job, you know, like a serpentine belt tool set or ball joint remover all joint remover and you have to pay the full price of the tool but all of that is refunded when you bring it back so it's free you know you have to put down you know 150 200 whatever the tool costs the full price usually by the way usually it's pretty cheap um yeah usually it's not that much they're under 100 almost always yeah but yeah all the major parts part stores will rent you tools for free and I'm pretty sure we did touch on this in the first episode, but part stores will like test your battery and shit like that uh, for free as well. Yeah. They'll check your engine light for free. Um, although while we're on the tool section, um, while we're wrapping up here, uh, I do recommend I have a Bluetooth little code reader. So like I plug mm-hmm. in the Bluetooth and it hooks up to an app on my phone so I can just look at my codes on my phone whenever the fuck I want. And it's got I can look at fuel trim data and stuff like I can data log right on my phone. Those are somewhere between $100 and $120. So if you have an OBD2 car, that is a very good investment, I think. Which, uh, by the way, is anything made after 1996? 1997. 1997. I, no, okay. I think it's Oh, yeah, it's after 96, yeah. After 96, yeah. So starting in model year 97. So yep. most likely you have an OBD2 car. Unless yep. you're driving a real old jetbox. Or friends and family, you know, whoever... Whoever's yeah. car you need to work on, um, they have regular code readers too. Um, but I recommend the one that hooks up to your phone because it's just, I think it's a little bit more capable for the money, honestly. Yeah. And it's convenient. Like I just leave it plugged in. And whenever I have a code, I can just pull up my phone and look at it. Yeah. I think you can also get versions of that that like track your fuel mileage and stuff like that if you really want to be nerdy about it. 
but yeah. Um, but I think that's it. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I guess write in if you think we forgot something or if we're wrong about something, and or if there's we'll, more uh, you want to know. Yeah, carsandcomrades at gmail dot com. But uh, yeah, uh, we'll say goodbye for now and um, rate us, follow social media, and all that stuff. You know, yeah. the usual, the usual sign off. We're on Instagram and Twitter, which I got to build threads. I'll, I'll get to it eventually. But Twitter for now, which well, what is it called now? X, X. <laughs> whatever the fuck it is. Uh, you know, we're, we're there sort of on the sinking ship of Elon Musk. No way, man. X uh, don't give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're on Hexbear and we're not on Facebook. Let's just go with that. We're not. We sort yeah. of are, but we're not. Yeah. You can, you can follow, follow us on there, but yeah. we're not going to post shit. <laughs> Lately, barely, barely any of us any of us are even on the internet, but we do have a presence <laughs> there. <laughs> you can write to us at our PO box. If you uh, if you like it, you can go ahead and give us a rating or a review of the podcast. Be like, hey, these guys are really s- smart or really stupid, whatever it is. Just you know, give us five stars. That's the that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, talk shit in the comments, but give us five stars. <laughs> <laughs> That's my preferred uh, way of doing that, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. on that right. note. Bye. 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 My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. When left entirely on its own devices, capitalism foists its diseconomies and its toxicity upon the general public and upon the natural environment. And then it does an interesting thing. It eventually begins to devour itself. If the paladins of corporate America want to know what really threatens our way of life, it's their way of life. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Uh, it's important that we examine the twin forces behind the Biden candidacy. The billionaires and the Bolsheviks. Ha 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 ha!